I don't know, have any of you uh, ever done exactly what you knew you should do and wound up being rebuked for it? Let's see your hands if you have. Okay. Have you ever been trying so hard to do the right thing and done the right thing and then after it was over, you were totally misunderstood? Has that ever happened to you? Let's see hands. Okay. Have you ever done something really momentous? I mean, major. And then had that totally ignored by someone who's only interested in pointing out something that they don't like or disapprove of. Have you ever had that happen to you? Let's see your hands. Okay. Uh, at least 75% of you have had some of these and all of you have had some of these different things happen to you. And this is kind of what was happening to Peter. Peter had listened to God. Peter had gone under the direction of the Lord to Cornelius's house. The fact that God was at work in things was corroborated by the fact that Cornelius uh, had been the timing was such, everything was such that, that Cornelius's vision or, and, and, and visitation by the angel and all of these things just all worked together so that it was so clear this was a major move of God. And then whenever he started talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit just fell on them just like it did on the disciples at Pentecost. And so Cornelius and his whole household were saved and they were baptized. And then Peter comes back home. Now, you remember a couple of three Sundays ago, we talked about how our, our mission is the message. How Jesus, whenever he was leaving, he told us to go into, the all, into all the world and preach the gospel. We're supposed to be taking the good news to everybody. And Peter was doing that. Peter was reaching people that God wanted reached. And he comes back and you'd think that everybody there would be excited. You'd think that everybody would just be rejoicing with Peter that what God wanted done was being done. And yet... He's met by a bunch of guys that are furious with him. They're furious with him because he broke the rules. He didn't do things the way that Jewish boys and Jewish men were supposed to do them. It wasn't in scripture that you didn't associate with Gentiles that you didn't eat with them. That was not found in scripture. It was something that had become a tradition in the Jewish uh, uh, culture in order for them to maintain their sense of sacramental and ceremonial holiness and cleanliness. And so that they wouldn't accidentally defile themselves. But there was nothing in Scripture that told them that they were supposed to not have anything to do with Gentiles. They had just added to God's Word. And there's so many times 
that God's word winds up be, being added to. And so many times that things that are good, uh, things that help us in our relationship with the Lord can wind up being a hindrance if we forget that they aren't God's word. They're just things to help us along in our relationship with God. But sometimes we can wind up being in spots to where the tradition overrides God. I think we've seen this in what's been going on in the church in the last 20 years and what they call the worship wars, where some people want contemporary worship services. Some people want traditional worship services. Nobody's happy with blended worship services. And, uh, uh, and, and they're all, when in, in the churches, the, when the different groups will jockey for different times for their services, and they'll think that their service is the most important one. And anyway, it just, you, and, and the thing is, People get ugly with each other over modes of worship instead of trying to find out, Lord, how should we be pleasing you? We can get off on this stuff about my preferences instead of his preferences. And it is so sad to watch the church fight over something that isn't prescribed in scripture at all being one way or the other. And I have seen that just bogged down into just total self-centeredness. In fact, I can remember one day, some change is so hard and there's so much resistance to it. I remember one time I was thinking we should have two Christmas Eve worship services at a very large church I was serving because uh, we were so packed. Everybody was sitting. They were sitting. We needed another service. And uh, there were people on the worship committee that were saying, no, we can't have two worship services for Christmas Eve because my kids might choose to go to the other service. And I want my family together on Christmas Eve. Why? Why would that be? But see how self-centered that is. Nothing to do with God. Just into them, it, church was all about family, not about the Lord. Family is important. And having your family worship together is important. But whenever it becomes your preferences, taking uh, uh, such a, a spot that it really knocks out everything else, you've got a problem. Uh, it reminds me of a pastor that he just had just a real revelation from God as to a path that he thought that the church should take. And he prayed about it to make sure. And then he went to the board meeting with it, the board of elders. They had 12 elders on the board there. And uh, he gave this, this passionate presentation of this thing that he just knew was of God that the church should be involved in. And uh, he could tell by the questions there was a lot of resistance and nobody really wanted to consider this. So they put it to a vote. The chief elder 
counted the votes. He said, well, pastor, the vote's 12 to 1. Looks like you're the only one that voted for your program. It fails. Any more business today? Okay, that being the case, pastor, would you lead us in a closing prayer? The pastor thought, okay, I have one last chance here. And so he prayed fervently that the Lord would just reveal to the elders that it was his will that this plan be followed. And as soon as he said, amen, kaboom, a big bolt of lightning hit the conference table. They were sitting around, split it in two, knocked all the guys out of their chairs back against the wall. They got up as they collected themselves and gathered themselves together. The chief elder, the chairman of the board said, well, preacher, it looks like now the vote's 12 to 2, but that's still not enough. It doesn't pass. Sometimes the church can get that caught up in the way that they want things to be, even when they know the Lord wants things to be different. And this is one of those things where the disciples were off track. And instead of being excited with Peter, they were angry with him. Now, all through the Bible, you're going to see that if you're living your life right, and if you're living it for the Lord, you're going to wind up being criticized and attacked from time to time. It's just going to happen. Aaron and Miriam criticized Moses. People criticized Paul for not being a good preacher. Uh, Pharisees uh, criticized Jesus for eating uh, with sinners and healing on the Sabbath and just uh, doing things the way that he didn't think they ought to, that they didn't think they ought to be done. And these guys are angry because Peter has done something that's wrong. He ate with Gentiles. He preached to them. He associated with them. He went into their home. Now, the same sort of things that they criticized Jesus for, right? I mean, he eats with tax gatherers and sinners, you know, the same sort of a thing. And we can expect to be criticized from time to time if we're doing the right thing. But it appears to them that he has broken the law when really he's just broken tradition. Uh, it's just a sad thing. But before we get too harsh in judging the scribes and the Pharisees uh, of Jesus' day and the disciples confronting Peter, we need to stop and look at ourselves because all too many Christians today, like we've been talking about, go to church and it looks like they just go to church to find fault, to gossip, and to criticize. And maybe, have you ever been in a church like that? It looks like that, that's what they all go there to do. I've had people just insist on being on the prayer chain because they wanted all the gossip. They, they didn't want to pray. They just wanted the news. They didn't want to be left out of the loop. That's just the way it gets to be. And I've had so many 
prayer meetings turn into gossip sessions because the people weren't concerned about praying for people, not nearly so much as they were talking about people. It's just the way that things can go. It's sad. So Warren Wiersbe in his book, uh, Angry People, said, an incident in the life of Joseph Parker, the great British preacher, illustrates this tragic truth that people sometimes are just looking to find fault in church. He was preaching at the city temple in London. After the service, one of the listeners came up to him and said, Dr. Parker, you made a grammatical error in your sermon. And then he proceeded to point out the error to the pastor. And Joseph Parker looked at the man and said, and what else did you get out of the message? And the thing is, I'm afraid that just like the disciples missed the point, so many people just missed the point of even coming to church and what it's all about. And so this morning, uh, I'm just going to real quickly go over some things that I think are important. First of all, if you wind up being the victim of criticism. And then also I want us to call ourselves to task if we are being critical people. So first of all, I want to point out to you just how much Peter has been transformed. Uh, this guy that was He's the, this Peter, he was the one that was ready to call down fire from heaven on a village that didn't respond favorably to the Lord's teaching. Uh, he's the one who not long before this incident lopped a guard's ear off protecting the Lord. He is the one who denied Jesus and cursed when he did it the third time before the rooster crowed. Peter was impetuous. Peter was short-tempered. And now then, he goes and does something wonderful for the Lord. And he comes back and you're eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they're all over his case. The old man would not have responded the way that Peter did at this point in time. He has grown tremendously. He is changed. He is transformed. The Holy Spirit changes you. The Holy Spirit, when he gives you the new birth, changes what's important to you, changes the very focal point of your life. You can be trying to be a good Christian and it all be about me, me, me. But whenever you yield your life to the Lord, you confess your sins like we were talking about the pages being, and let the Lord do the mending and the coming in and making whole and filling that God-shaped vacuum in your heart. When all of that happens, all of a sudden you're at peace with yourself. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. And since the world no longer revolves around you, you don't have to be right all the time. You don't have to be in control all the time. You can be in the moment for the Lord and you can be the Lord's in the moment. And whenever you do that, you're going to respond differently than if you were just acting out of just a 
self-centered point of view. The Holy Spirit transforms. And so now then, uh, whenever that happens, you no longer really care in a bad way about what other people think. You do care about what other people think, but it's in an humble way and not a haughty way. When the love of God is poured out in your heart, you have a holy confidence in who and what you are that doesn't need the validation of the people around you. And so with these guys, they didn't knock the chalks out from under people. It didn't devastate him that they weren't sharing in his great joy. Instead, he has the presence of mind and peace of heart to just go through exactly what happened. He explains to them what happened. He doesn't respond angrily. He doesn't uh, respond uh, in a defensive way. He just lays it out for them. And in the end, they are rejoicing with him. It says in Proverbs, back in the Old Testament, a soft answer turns away wrath. And what Peter did is uh, different, uh, is no different than what happened to, uh, uh, let's see, who was it? It was, it was Gideon, I believe it was. Let me double check. Let me double check here. I want to find, yeah, it was Gideon. Uh, Gideon was confronted by the Ephraimites. He'd been doing what God had called him to do. And it says uh, uh, the Ephraimites confronted him and said, why have you treated us like this? It says, and they criticized him sharply, but he answered them. He answered them. He explained to them, look, hey, you're eating right now. You're eating regular meals. Remember what it was like before? Uh, and he goes through and he just gives them an accounting of what he has done and where he is. And where they are because of all of that, not in a defensive way, but he just laid out the truth and the facts before them. And it says, when the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, they were no longer angry. So uh, anyway, Peter has been transformed. And so now then he answers, he answers, but he doesn't attack. And this is so important. Uh, if you just defensively attack back, y'all are just going to be pouring gasoline on each other's fire. So anyway, this, this, this guy, Simon Peter, is now one who will later on say, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make an answer to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. He's so different, isn't he? And it's the Lord that makes the difference. You can try to handle criticism differently all you want to, but if you haven't allowed the Lord to have you, then all of this is going to be really difficult for you. But he has changed. Several years ago, I realized that uh, when you're criticized, we ought to ask ourselves, 
whether criticism contains any truth. I discovered that Lord, the, that God gave me enemies for a reason. And he would give people in my life that were just nitpickers. And for, at first I used to just consider the source. Now they're just nitpicking. But then it dawned on me, what if they're true? What if they're right? And it dawned on me, I needed to listen, even if they were nitpickers, even if they were my enemies. And sometimes I would have people trying to verbally destroy me. But I learned to ask myself, is it the truth? If it's the truth, no matter what the source, I need to do something about it, don't I? And so I learned to quit just discounting uh, the naysayers and nitpickers and start listening. Listen for the truth and make sure of, uh, that I got the truth. Now, I'm just trying to think there was something. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a tremendous value in constructive criticism. And uh, like I've said, I found there's even tremendous value in mean criticism. If you, it says in Proverbs, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject that criticism, you only harm yourself. And I tell you what, I have really grown a lot since I started listening to all the criticism and uh, not taking it to as, ver as, as a personal attack, even if it might have been a personal attack, but just to listen for the truth. Uh, being criticized is not a problem if you develop a positive way of dealing with it. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. Winston Churchill had the following words of Abraham Lincoln framed on the wall of his office. He said, I do the very best I can. I mean to keep going. If the end brings me out all brings if the end brings me out all right, then what is said against me will not matter. But if I'm wrong, ten angels swearing I was right won't make a difference. The truth is the truth. And if you're trying to do the right thing, so be it. Now then, what about unjust criticism? What about there, there is criticism that can be unjust. And uh, the thing is, is that sometimes, like I said, you just need to listen for the truth in it. And sometimes you don't need to respond at all to it. You don't want to be pulled down to their level. Uh, whenever someone is attacking you, attacking back, you know who they're going to see fighting? You, not them, just you. That's the way it always goes. I, I had a, a, well, it was a step-granddaughter that was uh, always getting in trouble at school, in high school, because there was a, a, a kid that would just come up to her and just pop her. And then my step-granddaughter would pop her back. Guess who got saw swinging the punch? And so she'd wind up in the principal's office and she was getting a bad record, you know, because of this. And the bully was just loving it. And so my daughter explained to her, okay, this is what you do. The next time she hits you, you don't hit her back. You just 
grab your arm and say, why'd you hit me? Well, Amy went further than that. Whenever she got popped, she fell out on the floor and grabbed her arm, you know. And you know what? The other girl got in trouble. Never any problem after that. But the thing is, whenever you fight back, you wind up being a poor witness to those around you. Now, I'm not saying you need to overreact. I mean, like the NBA players do whenever they get fouled, you know. That's not what, what it should be about. Instead, but the, well, like uh, I was just trying to think there was another situation where the, no, I'm not even going to go there. But uh, anyway, whenever it comes to unjust criticism, we should just pray, first of all, Lord, how should I respond to this? Should I dismiss it? Or should I do something with it? So many times, look at Jesus. He just let it slide. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, uh, again, this is Peter talking. When he hurled, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted him, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Well, the thing is, is that we are going to be criticized. Some people just are going to do that. And some people are trying to be helpful. Some people, they think that's their gift. It's the gift of criticism. Or there's a pastor. Uh, he just moved into a, a, uh, a new church. And whenever you, a pastor moves into a new church and he has a study, whenever he first gets there and first starts setting up, all of a sudden, people just come through to meet the new pastor, you know. There's this one lady that came in, and she sat down to visit with the new pastor. She said, oh, Brother so-and-so, you just need to know that I have one talent, and that's the talent of criticism. And that's my gift that I use in the church. And uh, the pastor kind of leaned back, and he said, Well, you know, there's a story in the Bible about a guy that had one talent. And I would suggest that you do the same thing with your talent that he did with his. He went and buried it. And the thing is, is that uh, the thing is that a lot of times we think that we're being helpful in our own criticism. And let's face it, criticism stings critical people a lot more than it stings people that are not critical. And that is a good gauge for you to see where you are spiritually. Does criticism just go all over you? Does it make you defensive and want to put up your dukes and fight? Or instead, do you prayerfully ask, is it the truth? Is there something I can learn from this? Oh, and, uh, and, and do you take it from there? And uh, because once you're at peace with God and you know that your value and your worth comes from him, it's not coming from the person next to you or the group of people around you. Then your heart isn't going to sting like it would otherwise. And you'll be able to prayerfully handle it in the moment. And you'll be able to learn from it, to grow from it, and pray for those people 
who all they can see is what's wrong because they have some growing to do or they are your enemy for the gospel's sake and you're on a great adventure with God and somehow he's going to show you where to go and what to do from that moment on. In fact, just quickly in closing, I'll go through just just four suggestions real quickly here. Consider the matter instantly uh, or commit the matter instantly to the Lord, asking him to remove all resentment or counter-criticism on your part. That's a hard word to say. Counter-criticism. And to teach you needed lessons. So let me say that without stumbling over the word again. Commit the matter instantly to the Lord before you zing back with your sharp tongue or whatever. And some people are real good at those zingers, I know. Uh, commit the matter instantly to the Lord, asking him to remove all resentment or counterchrism. I did it again. We're going to get this right. Yeah. Commit the matter instantly to the Lord, asking him to remove all resentment or counter-criticism on your part and teach you the needed lessons. Next, remember that we are all great sinners and that the one who has criticized us does not begin to know the worst about us. Third, if you have made a mistake or committed a sin, humbly and frankly confess it to God and to anyone you may have injured. And fourth, be willing to learn afresh that you are not infallible, and that you need God's grace and wisdom every moment of the day to keep on the right path. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we find ourselves in the same spot where Peter is, where we're going along having a great day, and all of a sudden somebody just knocks the chalks out of us with our with their sharp tongue. Help us, Lord, to deal with with criticism rightly. And also, Lord, help us to hear ourselves and make sure that we're not the ones that are inflicting the pain. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.